Hello and welcome. My name is Assad. My name is Jamie. We're two surgical trainees in the north of England, and this is the podcast that aims to dissect, to probe, to anatomize, and analyze what it is to be a surgical trainee. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Surgery. So in this episode, unlike before, we're going to talk about more positive things. Um, I think in previous episodes, in fact, throughout this series, we've kind of hit upon some of the more uh, miserable aspects of surgical training. And I think we've painted a slightly bleak picture of what it is to be a surgical trainee, which we didn't really intend to. So I thought, yeah, today we're going to try and sort of uh, touch upon the things that we enjoy and the things that keep us going, the reason we do it. Just life affirmation, mantra. Yeah, exactly. Um, And maybe a bit of a pick-me-up for the bleak winter months. If you could pick one thing that you enjoy most about your job, the thing that keeps you going most, what, what would it be? I think it's the ability to do things that surprise me. So years and years ago, you, you saw people, you look up to things, you see it on the telly, you watch, I see these people doing these things. And the way surgery looks on the TV, it looks very glamorous. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is exciting. And uh, now I get to do that. And so, for example, I'll just... um there's a program on BBC called Hospital. I don't know if it's still going, but every year they kind of did the other season featured the vascular surgery unit at St. Mary's. And, there was, uh, and it, this aired when I just got into ST3. Um, so he comes in, he goes and sees this rupture and he's like, right, we need to get into theatre and you're going to do an open tube graft. Uh, and then he's got all the people there and it's all like, it plays dramatic music and he's there going like, right, I need an aortic clamp. Get me a Crawford clamp. Give me the Crawford clamp. It was it was it was a bit of a spectacle to see. Thought, oh my god, this is like this is really dramatic. This is quite riveting watching. And then uh, you know, a few months ago, I was lucky. I was on with someone that knows me pretty well and trusts me pretty well. And and then we had a rupture. And but there I was at uh, whatever time in the, in the night doing a substantial portion of this operation. And I was thinking, oh shit, this is this is well exciting. Like I'm sort of taking in the moment you're just doing the operation, like you know. Okay, we've got the clamp. We're going to test the top end. We're going to test the lead. Okay, we've got that on. Right, we'll test the bottom end. Okay, that's fine. All right, I need another proline. Get me another rescue stitch. Stitch, 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 stitch. And then I think in the moment, you you don't really think about it. But then when I came out of it, I was like, holy shit, I did that. That was that was pretty awesome, actually. And that could have been like on the TV. And the guy did pretty well, actually, and left hospital pretty quick. I surprised myself that I could do it. Yeah. So you don't think about it. And you take a minute, you pause, and you're like, oh, shit, I, I did that. That was that was great. I think that's probably the thing that's the most enjoyable. Like, I've learned things about myself 
on a on a like a, maybe not a daily basis, but like a monthly basis or you know a couple of couple of monthly basis. You don't realize it as you say. You don't realize it at the time. It's only when you look back, um, and sort of realize how far you've come. Hundred percent. When I started out, I was an under like I was inadequate in terms of technical skills. I couldn't even close skin properly. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't do that. I made it look dog-eared or there were holes in it. And then at some point from when I started to now, you know, you know I'm not going to take credit and say the whole thing, but a portion of a of a ruptured aneurysm, which is is an operation that's put on a on a big pedestal. Yeah, you don't, you never, you, you always lose sight of how far you come. And I guess we just get, we take it for granted what we, what we're able to do. I know. But how quickly it comes as well, you sort of alluded to. Um, someone sort of described it to me the other day, especially with surgical skills, they, they kind of exponentially start to grow. It's not like a sort of steady climb as you get better, um, as you sort of start to develop the, the basic skills. Um, then you start developing the more advanced skills quite quickly. And before you know it, you're doing a whole operation. Um, And, you know, I mean, it was only not too long ago, a few years ago, I was a medical student, could barely do a cannula. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You're saving lives. Yeah. Um, And it's quite surprising. And that, I think, is one of the sort of most satisfying bits of the training is, and I think, yeah, that's definitely a motivating factor. It's the, it's the feeling that you're constantly getting better. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean things will get easier. It just means that like, you feel like you're getting somewhere. Um, it feels like it makes it feel worthwhile, I guess. But I think also clinically, you know, one of the things I like, when it, as you get better, as you get more competent, you're constantly given more, challenges um it's like we, we we take it for granted we often complain about constantly being tested um but actually i think that is uh also one of the motivating factors is that you're never bored you never there's always something new that you have to learn a uh, new skill to develop yeah i agree i like that i like the fact that there's always like there are another level to kind of get to so you know, I imagine when you, you know, you're doing general surgery, you're going to start out by doing an appendix, then it's going to be like an ileocecectomy, then a right hemi, then you might do a left hemi, then it'd be like an anterior section, then you add in lap into the mix, and then it might be, you know, uh, an AP resection and or even panproctoplectomy. It just gets, there's always like a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And then you've got some side quests you can pick up along the way. You can do some advanced lap things. You can do robot stuff. Um, and I think all specialties have that. You know, there's all these little niche little things you can build up. And um, I mean, I'm not going to reduce what we do down to a computer game, but it sometimes feels like these are pretty rewarding main quests or even side quests that you can do. And you do get fulfillment. And every once in a while, you do get rare loot and you think, oh, it's awesome. It's probably worth worth the grind getting to do this. I like the fact that there's progression to that rather than there being a kind of finite skill set. This is all you can do. And the rest is just knowledge and you'll just pick that up as you go kind of thing. Yeah. I think not just, you know, it's not just trying out new operations. It's also the same operation, just getting better at it and yeah. seeing results. You know, I still am getting better. At, you know, even when you're closing skin, 
and you're doing that subcutaneous suture, it just feels like it's constantly improving and the skin will look nicer. Yeah. The last few years, do you know what I mean? It's almost, I wish, I wish there was like, you know, one of those like quick slideshows where you take a picture of every wound you've closed and I wish they could just like flick it through and just see how it gets nicer and nicer over the past um, couple of years. Because I feel like that's the one thing that I have like sort of consistently done over and over again. Um, and you can, yeah, it definitely got better. First time I did it, um, what did I do? Oh yeah, you know, at the end of the subcutaneous ticket stitch, you got to put the needle through the loop when you're doing the Aberdeen knot. Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> just pulled it out and cut it and pulled that whole wound fell apart. <laughs> but, you know, you work all those hours. And I'm not bored. I don't watch the clock. It's like, it, it doesn't feel like 12 hours. It, it goes by quickly. Um, the whole week goes by quickly. I think that's just because I'm enjoying myself. I was thinking about, for some reason, you know, you get these occasional flashbacks, like some experience that just pops into your head randomly. I remember this, um, when I was a student, I used to do these, um, horrible, uh, it's like side job where I was like a waiter at events. Yeah. I remember one of the worst shifts I did was, uh, a shift where I had to, for 12 hours between three in the afternoon and three in the morning at this place in London, uh, near Somerset House. I had to walk around with a bottle of champagne and fill up people's glasses for 12 hours. I've never been so bored in my life. And I remember just watching the clock and I never realized how slow time can go. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just thinking, it's like, I do 24 hour shifts now and I don't get bored. I don't, they, they go by so quickly. Yeah. And it shows that, you know, obviously enjoy this job a lot more than pouring <laughs> champagne. I know what you mean, like, before I went to uni and stuff, I worked in retail at Tesco, and, like, there'd be times where I was well-rested, I just did, off- like, it was Tesco, so I just did office hours, and I slept pretty well, because you don't have to do night shifts, you don't have to do any of that sort of stuff, you don't have to do on-calls, and there were times where, out of sheer boredom, I'd fall asleep at the till in the middle of the day. Yeah, although it's more stressful. Yeah. Um, and it's there's more responsibility, more more running around and things like that. Um, it is more it is more fun. I've talked about it before um, on the podcast. I think uh, this thing called type two fun, like type one fun, is when you're on holiday at the beach, you drink, whatever, and you know you're enjoying yourself at the time. Uh, like you know you're having fun. Type two fun is at the time is horrendous it's stressful you're like this is not fun this is horrible i don't like this um and then later you look back and you think actually i quite enjoyed that yeah um, that's what you, know what you mean i get that quite a lot from like work stuff yeah that that i, I think that's what our job is type two fun yeah I, I you know and and although we complain that it is stressful it's 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 it keeps pulling me back in exactly yeah it's addictive it's uh it's um, it's just exciting, kind of stressful, and it's rewarding as well. You know, you feel at the end of it that you've actually done something, you've learned something, and made a difference. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, those these things keep going. You know, sometimes we're talking about this stuff on the podcast that people do quit the job over, like burnout and and you know 
bullying as well. And certainly there have been lots of times when I've really sort of thought like, why am I doing this? Um, and then occasionally along will come a shift, which will just, you know, sort of remind you, it's like, oh, this is why I do it. But, you know, this is the life we chose. That was what one of my old consultants used to say. Whenever things got bad, he's just like, this is the life you've chosen. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. One, one consultant I used to work with, he was, he was sort of in the process of retiring. And he was saying that the thing that he missed most about the job was the people he worked with and that sort of social interaction uh, as much. And that, that was the thing that he said he missed the most. And I think that there's an element of truth in that. Definitely the people you work with in medicine, some of the patients you meet as well. But I think, yeah, there are a lot of very interesting people uh, who, who work in our job. You know, what was quite nice, actually, this happened to me and it was, uh, it was quite sweet. Um, a guy got referred to the hospital with a problem and um, it was like, you know, usual acute limb ischemia. So I said, all right, da, 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 da. you've got this problem with your leg. Um, we need to do X, Y, Z thing. And when I looked at like his demographics, I saw that I knew where he lived because I live a couple of streets down from him. So I just started up striking up a chit chat being like, oh, right, we're, we're practically neighbours, you and I. I walked past your house to get to the park or whatever. And he's like, oh, do you live? Like, yeah. I went to this school. I was like, no way, I went to the school and all the rest of it. we got to can the chit-chat because I need to take you to theatre for an operation. Go to theatre. Um, boss was like, are you happy? Well, I'll be around, but are you happy? Yeah, I can do an envelope. Did the envelope to me. So in the morning, oh, everything's all fine. And then obviously his family were worried and they came in. And um, he was like, hey, do you know this lad, this doctor here, he, he's from right where we live. You're, you're a local lad, done good, a nice one. Eh, you know this lad, he's a doctor. He lives around the corner from us. Eh, did you go to school with He went to school with Ali. There was this whole big fanfare, and they seemed more interested in the fact that I grew up or live near them more than yeah. the, the fact that it's like, is it all right? Um, and that was quite a sweet thing, actually. I was like, oh, fine. It happens quite a lot, actually, you, you know, um, especially when you take ownership and people recognise you as the face of what's happening. Um, I think when you're an F1, it's a bit different. When you're an SHO, it's a bit different. But when you're like, you're a reg and you're like, I've seen you, you need this operation uh, and I'm going to do this operation. And then it's you that does it. And then you see them afterwards. There's, there's a, you're, you're the, f- even though there's like anesthetists that have been involved, there's nurses on the ward that give the drugs, there's been A&E that make the diagnosis. You're, you're the face of all that. Like you're the face of the cumulative success. Uh, and the gratitude comes out pretty thick and fast. And, and that, that is a nice feeling actually. As a vascular surgeon, do you get much gratitude from your patients? <laughs> I was on vascular, did not give a shit whether <laughs> they were frozen on or not. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? The funny thing is, actually, we do. And what's good about them, this is probably my favourite thing about vascular patients, is that um, they're not soft and they're not very uh, woe is me. They understand that there's a, a bed that they've made, that they've laid in. Yeah. So uh, my favourite encounter was, um, 
I saw a lady who, who enjoyed cigarettes and uh, her leg was in a bad way. And I was chatting to her and I was like, oh, Hilda, what have you done to you? Like, obviously she won't call Hilda. Like, what have you done to you? Like, you, you, you've been smoking for a long time, Hilda. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm going to do what I can. But the problem is, is that um, it's very hard for me to undo 50 years worth of heavy smoking in four hours. So we did and we did what we could. And then um, it didn't work, obviously. And I saw her post up and I was like, hmm, Hilda, your leg's not looking so good. She's like, oh, it's creasing me somehow, right, man? Why don't you? I'm like, well, I don't think it'll do. She's like, just cut the bastard off then. I was like, all right then. We went through that and afterwards she's like, oh, thank you, doctor. I feel so much better. And I was like, that that is quite a bizarre interaction. I've just chopped your leg off. It's in the bucket now. And then she's like, thanks. Like, all right then. No, no tears. No, nothing. No, woe is me. She, she knew her leg was dead. And she was just like, yeah, well, chop it off then. All right. All right then. That was easy. You know, when you sometimes dread those awkward conversations, easiest conversations to have. Your leg's dead, mate. I thought so. Yeah. What gave it away? Was it the gangrene halfway up your leg? It, it does. It does feel nice when your patients are actually thankful for what you do. One of the things that I really like is the kind of relationship you have with your colleagues. It's 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 something that's quite unique to surgical training, especially, but medicine in general. Um, the sort of mentor mentee relationship with your seniors. You kind of become like a sort of apprentice or a mentee and you learn a lot from them and you take like um, bits of their professional skills, obviously, and operating skills. But also, I think a little bit of their personality as well, sometimes. Like there's certain um, certain consultants I work with where you know their patient interactions have gone particularly well or something they've done that I really like. Um, or certain, sometimes it's just the way that they handle the situation. Um, where I've kind of been like, okay, I want to be able to handle situations like that. And I'm going to act a bit like that. And I think that's kind of the nice thing that you're hanging around with people who are very experienced, not just in the job, but in life in general. I feel like it's quite a social specialty. So you, you quite quickly have friends in quite a lot of places. And I think when you're a reg, you definitely get on well with or you're going to have to get on well with people of all sorts of specialties. So you can have quite a fun relationship with other surgeons. You deal with there, you've got people in outpatients. You'll invariably have theatres, radiology, anaesthetics, ICU. They're the people like immediately in your sphere. And I think that is quite fun, actually. I don't know if as many other disciplines have that same level, like social circle. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I know your wife's a GP, so I hope she can hear. I do feel sorry for GPs and how isolated they can be. Um, yeah. I much prefer, you know, we're constantly um, meeting new people, especially when you rotate around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as you say, other specialties, like especially work in a big hospital. Um, there's lots of different characters. It, especially if you start working with people long term, you do actually make good friends with them. Um, and I'm still in contact with some people I've worked with. Yeah, I think the social aspect of it is really nice. And I think um, that consultant I was talking about earlier was right. So that, that's something you'll miss when you retire, um, is constantly seeing people and meeting new people and 
It's almost like, because we always talk about, oh, we work so much, we don't really have a social life. But actually, your social life is at work. And in theatre and stuff, you know, don't always just talk about medicine. Have interesting conversations. Yeah. Weird social dynamic in hospital, especially with the hierarchy and everything. Um, I'm still getting to the stage where, you know, I, I still find it awkward talking to consultants um, in a way that I would talk to, say, other regs and SHOs. Some 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 vets are quite good at sort of getting to getting all chummy with consultants and you know make jokes with them and stuff. Because I'm still kind of like, uh, still have that boundary. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, no, that's normal. I think when you when you're starting out, there's always going to be a little degree of reverence, and you probably keep that until you're like literally at the end. Yeah. But having had like having trainers now who are very similar to me in terms of they're only a few years ahead and having known them, called them by their first names for about six, seven years. And now they're like Mr. or Miss. Um, we, we, we've, we've kind of been in each other's lives. So that is quite nice because I know where they've been up to. I know what they did in the research. I know I knew their kids when they were colleagues of mine and stuff. So it, it becomes a lot more natural to talk about stuff. Um, and that is nice. You actually feel that when you when you're working with someone like that, they're they're investing in you because because they know you and they they really want you to get the the best uh, out of it. Like I was reading my some of my MCR comments because um, it felt like it was written by someone a that knows me well and b someone who's like a friend, not just Mister Khan has put in the he will have to try and gain more exposure, just like empty kind of hollow stuff. Um, and I thought that was that was that was really nice actually. I felt like oh, these guys are invested in my training. So I think that's that's one of those things that gets a bit easier as you get older or more senior. I'm also quite you know it's, it's interesting. I I I still like joke around with the. F1s and SHOs, which I think some regs don't really do. They kind of, they take on the sort of, they sit on their pedestal, if you know what I mean. I think um, every once in a while, it's good to have like the common touch. You don't want to be like the old kind of I reign supreme. So this is, this this happened yesterday. That's the only little thing. But uh, we had uh, standard, usual vascular ward, vascular patients, a little bit crumbly. Um, we also have like an ortho, not ortho, not ortho Jerry's, but like a surgical liaison, like a geriatrician that comes around and troubleshoots inpatients and is like, hit me with your problems, whatever. And normally one of the, the house officers will go and just accompany them and just find out and document. And I'm sure you've heard the jokes about Jerry's ward rounds, but you know what's going to, going to happen. You know what geriatricians love dishing out more than anything? What? Oh, PRs. They love them. And like, yeah. so you got a pulse, you're getting a PR. So this like poor F1 <laughs> was, uh, you know, she just had her, like her fingers. She could charge people for the amount of, uh, she should charge people, the amount of, uh, anuses she's inspected. And then, uh, we had a, we had a customer on the board that then had, yeah, it was Melina. And I was like, all right, okay, well, I'm here. Let's go there. Let's, let's, uh, let's do the spiel. Let's get that, the Blatchford score up. Let's have a look at the numbers. Let's cross that medication. He's going to need a PR. And then I just saw like a face crumble. And I was like, all right, get me the gloves. Get me the lube. It's not the first time I've had my hand in someone's bum. I'm not above it all. I'm not. And, I, and she's like, are you sure? I don't mind. I'll be your chaperone. I was like, I don't 
you know, <laughs> to chaperone me, but thanks. Thanks for your moral support. Um, so, oh, that's very kind of you. I don't really mind. It's, like, it's fine. It's all right. It's just one of them, isn't it? I, I can see from your face you've had your hands in enough bums today. I, I, so it's fine. I'm, I'm not above it. I'll do it. It's fine. So I think you're right. It, it, you, there has got to be some humanity in, in, in what we do. And I think, you know, especially trainees, you, you don't want to shit on people from height. Yeah, I never really wanted to be like that. No. Yeah, yeah I'm much more. Not that, you know, sometimes you do need to um, set the boundaries. Yeah. I'm very new to this. You know, people are sort of starting to sort of see me as a senior. Yeah. Um, it was like I was doing today, because um, uh, I was asking the F1, I was like, do you want to go through the list? And she was like, not right now. I was like, okay. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I turned around to the other edge and I was like, you know, when I was in F1, my edge should just put on the group chat, hand over, please. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd all like run to his office. Like, oh, we're going to the list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were a bit like, should we go to the list? Uh, not right now. Uh, uh, okay, then. I'll just... Uh... Yeah, exactly. That, that was my thing. And then, yeah, I was just saying, like, honestly, when I, when I was a... F1, it's like, as soon as they said, I want handover, you just be like, okay, go on. Yeah, I, I, I think um, uh, I I prefer a slight, not, it's not a flattened hierarchy, it's just less kind of uh, looking down on people and, sure. Sure. you know, and, and just being the people with a bit more respect who are the level below you. Yeah. Um, and also because you keep them on side, and if, if it's more familiar, in um, if they're more confident to ask you questions um, and ask for your advice, then you know what's going on. But yeah, no, you're right. I don't think we, you need to be harder on people beneath you because that's what you experience. I'm not, I'm not a believer in that. I just think, you know what, it, it does take a bit of effort to not be a jerk, but people remember that and people are thankful for that. Yeah. You know, like, for example, so I try and be like a good guy or whatever. And then, um, we had a tricky patient or whatever. And I asked for some help from a, a the med reg. The med reg came to the ward and she was like, Oh, Aslan, how are you? I remember you. I like, I was your house officer three years ago. I was like, ah, oh, wherever it was, you know, like a while ago. I was like, ah, right, yeah. Oh, great. You're a med reg now. Cool. And then there was a sort of nice interaction, reverence. Volumes of help, really, really helpful, great. You know what I mean? Like, me not being a jerk has come full to that person, has come full circle where they're actually willing to be helpful. I mean, MedRedge would be helpful anyway, but they were like almost glad to see, and I was glad to see them. And it was nice rather than being like, oh, you were that guy, you were that jerk. So I thought yeah. that, that, that's that was, that was nice, that it's come full circle. It's a skill. It's a really fine balance between um, being assertive and being not being an arsehole at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, it's not something you can just learn overnight. So there's not like a a particular, you know, there's no course or anything that can teach you this. It's just through experience and like finding the balance and I guess like just yeah, gaining experience doing the job. Um, but when you see it done well, it just works so much better, and everyone feels better at the end of the day as well. Um, and then there are other people who think, well, 
I was treated like that when I was a junior. So I'm going to treat everyone like that as a as a reg or a consultant. Um, and then I think there are some people who just crack under pressure and like, I don't give a shit how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some people out there who just literally they they've had enough and they they yeah they just don't care about other people's feelings. Um, which is unfortunate, but uh, I guess if you can maintain a bit of empathy in this job, it does go a long way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. We've gone back to bullying. We've gone back to the previous episode. It's like a clip show. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we've did it so long, we've got our own little clip show. So what else? What else makes you makes you motivated? Keeps you going. I guess I've kind of got to a point where I believe I can do this now. You know, I can see the sort of the horizon, and I think I'm I'm getting there, and that feels nice because I feel like you know you're in this tunnel and you have no way of where you're going. But the end of training whilst I'm not there and I'm not close to it, I've still got a while to go. It doesn't look like it's unobtainable. And um, there's certain stuff like, for example, every once in a while, you'll do stuff that you look at and you think that was, that was pretty awesome. So one thing I did, and it's like, I mean, this was very much the stuff of TV. But um, I worked in a in a, a teaching hospital, and uh, we cover trauma, and like we're we're on the trauma team, uh, and um, trauma calls. If you're on them, if you ever have to go, they're often a mixed bag. So most of the time, it's like Gladys is 86, she's fallen out of the bathtub, she's got a grade three splenic laceration. Well, like, fantastic, good news, thanks for that. Or it's like. Gordon was going to the toilet in the middle of the night. He missed a step. He's fallen down 12, 12 steps. Um, and he's found in a heap on the floor. His GCS is 13. Like, uh, he's got a few broken ribs. Like, ah, oh, cool. All right. So, um, one of these nights it was like a Wednesday. I was doing whatever it was. It was like 2 a.m. So I got a trauma thing. And then very soon after they, they sort of did like a, a, a fast, fast bleed, but it was a few. I answered it. And they said, look, we've got like a code red trauma coming in. It's like, oh, yeah, it's ETA is in, in five minutes. So please, whatever you're doing, come quick. I don't know the specifics, but it's a stabbing patient who's unconscious. I was like, oh, well, I gotta go on. So I stopped by doing, I ran down to ESOS. And the whole kind of, they mustered all this sort of team. And um, I spoke to the consultant or whoever received the phone, like, look, there's an ambulance crew that's just scooping and run. A guy's been in an altercation at the pub, been stabbed in the chest. He is unconscious. He's unrousable. He has got some, like, he's got a pulse of whatever. You know, his heart rate is like 120, 120. They've just put an eye gel in. They can't really feel any pulses, so they've just thrown in the back of the wagon. And there, I don't know where they are. I was like, oh, okay. 
Um, where's he been stabbed? They were like, the chest. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, right. Have you got the, yeah, we've got like a thoracotomy tray here. I was like, cool. Uh, I'll just go on WikiHow and decided to search. I went on, I don't know if you use WikiHow, I tried to see if there's an article about how to do a thoracotomy. Um, and then I called the boss. Um, and I said, that's trauma thoracotomy that's coming in. Um, he's like, oh, okay, what's the ETA? Like one ninety seconds? Is that, oh, okay, well, I'm like 20 minutes. So I was like, are you happy to make us that? I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So then um, the ambulance turns up pretty quick and then doors open and then this gurney comes in and there's just this sloshing of blood and like the, the trolley comes in on blood-stained tyre marks. So like, this does not bode well. Um, like blood, blood, blood. And then they gave us a story. This is Dean or whatever he's called. He's been outside a pub. He's got into an altercation. Someone stabbed him. Then he's collapsed in a heap. And then they called the police. The police came was like, shit, this doesn't look good. We'll start a CPR because they'd already rung an ambulance. Like, let's just hurry the ambulance along. So then they were like, did whatever. We've just scooped in one. We don't know. So I was like, okay, well, let's get the shirt off. And you know, still breathing. And then uh, there's this hole in his chest. And every time someone presses down, a bit more blood comes out of the top of his chest. I was like, aha, I see where this is going. All right. So the A&E consultant um, was a bit like, uh, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you all right doing this? And I was like, um, well, yeah, I have to be, I suppose. Um all right, have we got the set? So then I, I just sort of got the knife. <laughs> to be honest, I think at this point I was like, this guy looks like he, he like he is dead unless we do this quick. So I was, so I think, you know, you've got some skills. I've never done a clamshell before, but I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. Um, I just got the knife and I just sort of soared through his chest wall. Um, it was one of those crappy disposable knives. And when it went blunt, it's like a graphic content warning. I just basically used my fingers to pry apart his intercostal muscles. <laughs> and then like he did once and AD consulted one side I did the other and I was like right okay we're through we're through we're through I think I nicked the lung whatever doesn't matter I made a hole doesn't not going anywhere really right. got one like <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck it just do it doesn't matter uh, then they have these things called like we had no tough cut scissors so the tough cut scissors yeah. were oh I was like what have we got like uh, this little thing called a jiggly saw which yeah, is like, yeah the crap noise and... like that <laughs> I think I was putting the wire underneath the sternum and the consultant, the A&E consultant had the other handle and like he dropped the handle into the chest. I was like, oh shit. Can we get some big mayo scissors? Get me the biggest mayo scissors you've got. So I asked for like these mayo scissors and I was like, chomp, chomp, chomp. All right, cool. We threw the breastbone. Let's flip. I never really understood why they call it a clamshell until I did it. And I was like, I don't really like the term clamshell. I think carbonic thoracotomy would be better because to yeah. me that's like I just flipped the chest wall up. I was like, ah, I'm inside the chest. Um, there's there's blood and there's stuff like that. So then, um, and then I had to do like surgical things. So I was like, oh, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? I'm in the chest. Great. Now what? Okay, quick. Um, light. Get the light. Someone move the lights. Move the lights. Uh, and then suction. 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 I need suction. Someone suction in there. Bear in mind, I was just doing this all in a pinny and those disposable latex gloves. So it's like the most septic procedure I've ever done in my life. I think I just just quick like four second hand wash before I got started um, and I was like oh when I've done the the, the, the clamshell I've pulled his heart up, like his heart's being lifted up I was like oh that's no good I need to see that so then I just sort of went chop trying to separate off the, the sternum and um, 
what was quite good was that where I was panicking at the time. I chopped something and then his heart dropped down. I was like, oh shit, have I just made a hole in the heart? And then, and then all of a sudden this fountain of blood like that. And then Nisa's like, oh, we've got output. We've got output. I was like, okay, uh, right. Oh, cool. So it was a tamponade and my dodgy scissor cutting. <laughs> Fix this. Great. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, just play it cool. Don't let them know that was an accident. You didn't mean to cut the pericardium. So <laughs> then I pushed the heart down. And then I was like, oh, yes. Bingo. And in between the ventricles, it was really lucky. There was this like one centimeter hole that was just like a, a, a fountain, basically. You know, those big Las Vegas style fountains just going. <laughs> and like yeah. it, it missed my face, but it was, it was pumping at some height and it may have got, you know, it was on the ceiling. And then I was like, what am I going to do? Pinky hemostasis. Then I just shoved my pinky finger in the hole. I was like, I've done it. I've done it. I've plugged the bleeding. Oh. And then um, I, I sort of turned around because there was like sweat kind of dripping off my face and it was three o'clock in the morning. And I told the anesthetist, like, we've got it. We've got hemostasis. Fill him up. So they were like squeezing bags of bags, bags of blood. blood. And then um, one, lots of big proline and a big needle holder. We don't have any here. Get someone to get them. Uh, sorry, I turned around. And it was this like room of like 40, 50 people there. I have no idea. Like the whole AD department just like sashayed their way in. Because I think everyone wants to see a clamshell. It's pretty, pretty dramatic. Um, and so then I got the proline. I took my finger out. It started bleeding. But I kind of just stitched it quickly, cobbled it together. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I just sort of stitched it. Uh, and then I put like a little bit of pericardium on top from the bit I chopped off. And then my boss came in at the time and he was just like kind of blurry eyed. I was like, boss, 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 have a look. And he was like, is it bleeding? I was like, no, 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 no. Have you got an output? Yeah. Then that's fine. You've, you, you know, you've done the job. And I was buzzing. Like I was so wired. I couldn't sleep for the next three days. And, um, I told his parents, right? His parents were obviously like in bereft and I went up to them and they could see like the liters of blood on my scrubs and like spatter everywhere. It was like all over. And they obviously they got the worst feeling. And I, I got to be like, it's all right. He's alive. And they looked, they ugly cried on me, which is quite sweet actually. Mm. I was like, Oh, that's nice. This, this is quite good. Cause they're like, Oh, my little boy. I didn't want it. I was like, yeah, that's it. Take it all in. I saved his life. And then what was really jokes was I went to go see this um I went to see this guy on day one because he was like a teenager, so he bounced back super fast. So day one post-op, he was extubated and he was on ITU and he was like, Yeah, he's fine, he's filled up, his lactate's like normal, he's been off face suppressors. I mean, you fixed the hole, we filled him up, he's fine. Uh and then I saw him on ITU, he's like struggling a bit for breath because he's got big fat intercostal drains in. And I sat to him and he, uh, I was like, all right, how's it going? He's like, yeah, it's all right. I was like, um, so, uh, I'm the, uh, I'm the surgeon that, uh, saved your life. And then I'm not sure what I was expecting. Well, he just went, uh, nice one. Can I go out for a sick? And I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, to be in fairness, right? I, I just sort of left, uh, thinking, it's pretty, it's pretty retarded that I was expecting anything other than, than indifference. Um, for, for me, that for me was like, you know what? That's probably the, 
the greatest thing I'll ever do in my life. Uh, even if I climb like Everest, I don't think I'll achieve something as as great as like such a big win thing. I don't think I'll f- I'd feel the same as I did after I did that. You know what I mean? It was so it's it was all the kind of stuff that you see dramatized and sexed up. It happened in one, you know, like opening someone up in A and E resource, blood pouring out everywhere, like a, a, an actual theater of people watching in like maximal high stakes operation. Not really an operation, but you know, like damage could store stuff and it and it and it paid off. Um yeah. It's just stuff like that. You know, you think I, I I'm really glad that I do the job that I do because this is objectively pretty awesome and this is why people keep making drama tv programs about this job because every once in a while you don't think it'll happen to you but it actually might um and yeah you get wins like this and they're huge just bottle it up keep it in there remind yourself i can do this i can do this i can and then and that's how you get there it'd be fun it was really fun I remember you, 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 you told, you have told me about your chicken dog cartoon before. I, I, when I started the ST3, we did this, um, sort of starter course where we had to do one on a cadaver. Yeah. And I remember thinking of you when I was doing it, I was just like, how did I have to do this on a real person? <laughs> I could not do it. And I remember them saying, like, they were saying, hopefully you'll never have to do this. Um, but if you do, like, it, you're, it's very bad outcome, so don't worry if it doesn't go well. And and they were saying, "Oh, I don't know anyone who's actually done one successfully." And I was like, oh, "I do." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's what people live for, isn't it? And that's what they, yeah, um, that is what the, uh, the TV shows are made out of. Hundred um, percent. And if and if you know if it comes down to it, have I got the balls to do this? Like the, you know the figurative, the metaphorical, the courage. And the kind of conviction to do it, I do. I, if I can do that, then I can do whatever else. Mm. That's pretty cool. What do you reckon? That'd be a nice thing to end on. <laughs>